Okay, well, let's grab your Bible and make your way back upstairs as we continue through Proverbs. Tonight, we're going to study Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28, so you can follow along. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Um, Brad is in the back, and he can grab you a Bible. Proverbs 28. And as you're turning there, we need one up here too, Brad, please. As you're turning there, a few reminder announcements um, tonight. Don't forget that Saturday is our one-day youth conference. So um, it starts at noon, and it is not too late to sign up, parents, if uh, your kids have, you forgot, or if you never heard about it, and this is the first time that you were hearing about it, I wouldn't be surprised. So you can still join us Saturday. And then also, we have our home fellowships on um, Friday night, the Ebert Home Fellowship and the Clark Home Fellowship over in Peters Township. So make sure that you can make it to that. Um, Brad, do we have another Bible for over here too? There you go. Um, right there. And then also, um, if you are able and willing, after service, we are going to tear down the Christmas decorations. We are a bunch of Grinches here, and uh, it's the new year, so we're tearing them down. Um, no, we just want to have them down for the conference on Saturday. So if you're able to help with that, even if it's for a few minutes, it would be much appreciated. So that's right after service. And then don't forget, if you're a part of the children's ministry, we are going to have a luncheon for um, you on January 21st. Um, so see the Reynolds for that. You should have gotten an invitation. Make sure that you RSVP. So we make sure that we have enough food. Um, and then else, other than that, um, nothing new since Sunday. So just a quick couple of reminders. Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28. How many people here have ever read through the Proverbs? Raise your hand if you've ever read through the Proverbs. Yeah, most of us, most of us. And if you haven't, that's okay. It's a common thing. Um, there's different reading plans. If you've just started a Bible reading plan, perhaps part of your plan is to read a proverb every day. And if you read um, one every day throughout the whole month, you'll read um, it about roughly 12 times throughout the year, right? And there's been many who have done that. Um, but the proverbs are God's wisdom to us. God's wisdom. And remember too, as one pastor, he put it this way, and I love this definition of what is the wisdom of God. So we know that God has created all things. God has established it. God has woven into the fabric of the earth how he's, how he's made it. And now wisdom is different. The wisdom of God and the wisdom um, of the word, we need to be careful how we approach it. There's two different ways. See, some, this pastor put it, can approach the wisdom um, in general, or we can even twist, want to twist the wisdom of God to be magic doors. What do we mean by that? If I do X, Y, Z, then I can conform reality to what I want it to be. See, but the wisdom of God says that reality is established, God's reality, how he's created it. And now we are to conform to God's reality. Do you see that? How there's two different ways of approaching it? And so that's how we want to always keep that in the back of our head. Lord, I want to be conformed into the reality, your reality, not my own. Interesting too, we talk about what an idol is. The Bible says not to make gods after our own image. Isn't that interesting? Think about that, taking an image, taking what we want God to be and making it to the image that we want him to be. That can be conforming, trying to conform the world to our own reality. You can also call it magic, can't you? I was joking with some friends 
Um, they were talking about the superstitions that athletes have. If you put on um, my right sock first, then my left sock, that I've never washed the entire um, athletic season, then it's good luck, and I would definitely win the game. And they were like, they were going back and forth talking about these different superstitions and um, that athletes have, and, and is it real? Does it have a real effect? And of course, like, yes, it can have an effect on your mentality, right? Because you get out of this routine and then you overthink it. That's separate. But really when we do that, when we follow these superstitions, what we're saying is that I can control reality by doing that. Do you see that? And that's not what the Bible's talking about. And, and as we come to Proverbs 28 tonight, I just want to keep that in, in the forefront of our minds. So let's start off where we should in every chapter with verse 1. And there we read, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold of a lion. Have you ever watched the show Cops? I have. Yeah, a few of us in here. Okay. I know. There's, it's like, it's on some channel and there's like a thousand reruns. So it's an easy, quick watch. You can, it's quick attention. You don't have to watch the whole thing. Um, but one of the things, if you've ever watched Cops or if you've seen it, hopefully you've never been in this situation. And if you have, that's okay. Um, the, the cops pull somebody over, um, and then they get out and they run out, they run out of their car and the cops have to chase them. They actually, they chase them and they catch them. And what's the first thing they say after they get them in cops? What did you run for? Like, it was just that you ran a red light. Why did you run? And the person always says, without a doubt, I was scared or, or I didn't see you or whatever this. But when they're saying I was scared, see, this reminded me of this verse, as funny as it is. If, and, and the cop always replies back, if you did, you did nothing wrong, then there's nothing to run, right? See, that's kind of that idea. The righteous are as bold as a lion. The righteous, those... And we have to define that word. Who is the righteous person is one who is, um, whose ultimate trust is in the Lord. They're counting on the Lord's righteousness. I'm counting on the Lord's righteousness, not my own. See, the Bible is telling us here that the person that is doing that has an underlying security in their hearts and in their lives. See, it might even describe the person as a courageous um, person or a risk taker, somebody who is bold like a lion or a lion isn't afraid. A lion can go out and, and it's the king of the jungle, right? So the Bible isn't talking about somebody who goes down and mows people down and, and gets them, right? Uh, devours people as prey. But there's somebody who is, who is courageous. There's somebody who, who will take a stand. And think about this too. Even Moses, as he went to Pharaoh, can you imagine what that would be like? Pharaoh, let my people go. Let God's people go. The Pharaoh had, had the power to execute him on the spot. But yet he was bold because he was trusting in the Lord. Now I want to think about this for a minute. Think of Jesus. See, the boldness to forgive a man that Jesus had. The boldness to stand in front of all the religious elites and everybody who he knew despised them, him in his heart and to tell them that they were wrong. This, the boldness of Christ. The boldness to go and to eat with sinners and outcasts and to face the religious, the religious elite of the day. And yet this boldness comes when we realize who our God is and how loved we are, doesn't it? We become those who are secure as we trust in the Lord. See, our ultimate security, our confidence is found in trusting in Christ. 
And in our heart of hearts, we know that that's our greatest need. See, if you know that you're forgiven, if you know that in your hearts that you are righteous in God's eyes, it doesn't matter if, if man can come at you. You'll be bold. You can be bold to take a risk and even fail. Because whether I fail or whether I succeed, see, I can have a messy record. Everything doesn't have to turn out perfectly. Again, because my acceptance, my righteousness is in Christ. Do you see that? See, the wicked, although they might seem confident on the outside, they might be loud. They might be large. They might be ferocious. You might hear them. Within, there is no ultimate security in their heart. And they will flee, even as the Bible says there in verse 1, when no one pursues. Because they know there's no settledness. And so, as you and I trust in Christ, we can be ones who are bold. We can be ones who stand for righteousness as Christ did. But keep going on there in verse 2. Because the transgressions of a land, many are its princes, but by a, by a man of understanding and knowledge, right will be prolonged. So we see here the nation that fears God will not need many men to manage them. They don't need large governments because they are righteous themselves. You go on to verse 3. A poor man who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain which leaves no food. This is very interesting. A tyrant. That's what verse 3 is describing. A tyrant. Maybe some of you have experienced um, a boss as a tyrant. Hopefully not. Hopefully you don't have one right now. But there's, you, you have that picture of, of this person who is just over top and, and controlling and, and, and uh, mean, uh, aggressive. Someone who comes, like he's, the Bible describes it here, like a sudden downpour. Think about that when, when you have a large rainstorm that comes. It's loud. You hear it on the roof or, or on your windows, right? And it's out of nowhere. It's like that burst of anger that, that somebody we might describe as a, per, a tyrant has. And he says that this type of uh, rain, this sudden rain, can, has the, the ability, and sometimes you see that it just washes away all of the crops. The soil, the, the topsoil that often is the most fertile, where all the, the new crops grow, can just be washed away by this downpour, by this, uh, by this hard, aggressive rain. And he's describing a person who is a tyrant in authority. See, authority is a good thing. God established authority, but how do we exercise it? How do I exercise it? There are some who think that that's what the Lord's like. Maybe even you tonight. You, you see the Lord as a tyrant in your life. Well, it, he, he's taken that away just like a storm would. It's come suddenly. And, and this tenderness that you see in the Bible, maybe, maybe you don't even feel that or, or you've been struggling um, with that. See, Hosea 14, verses 4 and 5, there we see, this is what the, the, the Bible tells us the Lord is like. The Lord writes, I will heal their backsliding, meaning their sin, and I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. And notice here, he says, I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. Also in Deuteronomy 32, verse 2, there we read, let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb, and as the showers on the grass. See, that describes who our Lord is. He's like the dew. His word that comes to us is like the dew. 
Man, you wake up and, and it's there and it's life-giving and, and it's gentle. And it glistens, right? Did you ever go outside on, on that warm summer or spring day? And, and as it's over the grass, it's beautiful. See, that's who our Lord is. He's not a tyrant. He's not a tyrant. And that's, that's the type of um, reign that he wants to have in our hearts too. Of course, he is a loving God, meaning he will correct us when we rebel in love. And that proves the Bible says that we are his children. But he's not a tyrant, he's tender. Verse four, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Verse five, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. So going back to our definition of wisdom, if wisdom is operating according to God's reality, not our own, as one pastor put it. Think about it. God's reality shows us how the world really operates and works. And so we, as we understand right and evil, forgiveness and justification, as we seek the Lord in these things, as he's established this, notice that it says that you'll understand all. You'll understand all doesn't necessarily, you'll understand the mechanics of how a clock works or a computer, but how the fabric of this world is woven, how God created it. He gives us this understanding because it's not as the world is. The world says not to forgive. The world says to, to um, keep your money, not to give it. The world says to exercise authority and put others down and, and step over them to gain prominence. Yet the Bible says to be a servant. Do you see how as we seek the Lord, as we seek his wisdom, we understand all. I love that. Verse six, better is the poor who walks in integrity than the one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. Interesting, we are on, in Sunday mornings, as we've been studying through Genesis, we're talking about Abraham. And remember, we looked at this Sunday even, as Abraham, he took his, um, Sarah, his wife, and they were in Egypt. And remember, he, he said, if I go down there, surely they will kill me. You're a beautiful woman. He's just going to kill me because he wants you. And so he said, let's devise this plan. He thought, he didn't trust the Lord, but he thought. And he said, you just tell them that you're his, uh, my brother, excuse me, you're my sister. I'm your brother, which was a half truth, but a complete lie, right? And it says that um, the Lord appeared to the king of uh, Egypt in a dream. And he said, if you do this, if you take this woman, you're a dead man. And what did the Pharaoh reply? He said that it was in the t integrity of my heart that I did this. He's saying, I didn't know. I didn't know. I was doing what I thought. Um, I, I didn't know that this was this man's, Abraham's wife, Lord. And so the Lord, um, of course, we know that he didn't kill him. And you can go back and you can listen to the message. But doing what is right, no matter what the cost is or who is watching, the, the man or the woman of integrity. So what is he telling us here, the Lord, is, as he talks about integrity? He's saying that it's better to be poor and yet to have this integrity, to have a reputation of integrity about you than to be one who is not one of character, who one who doesn't possess integrity and yet have great riches. And so we see this contrast there, what the world esteems, riches, money, wealth, and yet a character that we might even say is completely 
divulged, that isn't there, that doesn't exist. One who may cheat, one who may talk about others, put down others, one who can uh, tell small lies just to take advantage of. But yet they can have this, but there's not a richness about them spiritually, is it? And the Bible encourages us and what the Lord's saying that is in his reality and the way that he's created this world is to be a man and women of character. And yet, sure, we might not have the same riches. That doesn't mean that God can't choose to give um, uh, you riches and and yet you can still be a person of integrity. The Lord can choose to do that if he wants. But when push comes to shove, when we have the opportunity to do, nobody's watching, and yet we can take the shortcut. We can just tell the small lie. The Lord is telling us that it's better to choose him. There's real riches there. And isn't that, isn't that sweet? As you can just sit before the Lord and you can say, Lord, I know that I've, Lord, I've chosen you. Lord, I'm right before you. Lord, I, I know what I did in my business practice, in my interaction with my customers or with my employees. Lord, I, I was right with you. And although it might cost us, it's even that might, the Lord can be using that to cut away at our flesh, right? As we give up the riches or, or maybe the gains of this world to walk as a man or as a woman of integrity. The perverse man that he's saying is one that who's twisted, a twisted man. And again, we see this idea that they might have that security, but yet we know that it's not true security. So verse 8, one who increases his possessions by usury or extortion gathers it for him who will pity the poor. So we see that gathering uh, great gain or obtaining much wealth by charging high interest on loans to the poor um, was forbidden by the Lord. He forbid it. We know that in Exodus 22, verse 25, that there the Lord says um, that the Israelites were not to charge interest at all to other Israelites. And yet the Lord in his sovereignty here is saying that although there's going to be those who do take advantage of the poor, those who um, charge these uh, outrageous interest rates, and you're saying, amen, did you see the interest rates uh, recently? They, they seem outrageous at times. But those who are, are doing this and taking advantage of others, they can, in what they think are controlling their own gain, their own wealth, yet God's sovereignty we see, he will transfer the money to one who is gracious to the poor. And do you see these two parallels often just put up against each other? One who can take advantage to gain for self, but yet the Lord says that he, can, he gives to the one who he knows just gives back out. And isn't that what we want to be? The vessels. Isn't that interesting? God says that he will give it to that who, those who will be gracious. He will give it. And what has been given to you and to me, and we'll talk about this um, throughout the night, we've been given that we might be stewards. We've been given not to obtain and, and to gather and to keep for ourselves, but to pour back out. And isn't that the way that it is? You know, a, a, a pond or, um, I often think of, um, a tire swing, right? If you've ever went on a tire swing in the summer, you go there and, and isn't it frustrating when you go and there's that water sitting in it still and it's like nasty smelling and there's mosquitoes in it. And why is that? Because the water's stagnant. It's just sitting there. There's no, there's no coming in or going out of it. And the Lord wants us to be 
that which he pours into us, and yet we're pouring back out. And there's that life that happens there, whether it's spiritually the Lord gives us um, understanding in his word that we might be able to give back out. The Lord gives us a, a home, or he gives you an ability to give to others. And yet when we when we uh, keep and we harbor for itself and it just stays with us, oftentimes, as Jesus said with Lazarus, uh, remember with, with when Lazarus was in the grave after four days, he stinketh. We just become those who stinketh as we don't give out. And what a way to just represent the Lord's heart by being gracious to others. Verse 9, the, or excuse me, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law or you might even uh, translate that uh, by being in, being in God's word, even his prayer is an abomination. Now, what's an abomination, you might ask? An abomination is simply put, something that God hates. The one who hates God's word, or who might, um, we might also rephrase that, one who refuses to hear God's word, they don't desire God's will, Right? God's will is revealed in his word. And prayer is to accomplish God's will, not my own. And so what this person prays, the one who refuses, the one who doesn't want to hear God's word, doesn't want to be in it, doesn't want anything to do with God's words, word, oftentimes their prayers won't be answered because they aren't asking for the right things. Again, prayer is not to accomplish my will. Prayer isn't um, coming to the Lord and treating him like a genie if I rub him the right way for the right amount of times then I can have three wishes and he does what I want. No, prayer is to accomplish God's will. And oftentimes the Lord uses prayer to first work in my heart, doesn't he? And see, as we're in God's word, we learn of his heart. We learn of Jesus, who we say is an, the Bible tells us is an express image of his father. We learn of the father's heart. And then we pray consistent with what his will is and the delight of seeing answered prayer. Oh my, how sweet that is. And so we can be ones who pray according to God's word. It's simple. Man, pray the promises of God. How do we do that? You can even do like the song that we sang tonight. Lord, thank you that all of my days, your goodness and mercy will follow me. It's that simple. Lord, teach me to be gracious with the money that you've given to me. There you go. Pray according to God's word. And we will see that answered prayer. But he goes on in verse 10, and he says, Whoever causes the upright to go astray in an evil way, he himself will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will inherit good. See, there are those who desire to trap you in evil. Do you know that? There are those out there who are looking, who are laying out traps for you and for me. How so? Well, let's just pick on um, a simple one here. What about the internet? There are internet <laughs> links that are on websites that are disguised. They're not, they're not even straight out, out, outright advertising for it, but you click on that link and it takes you to a pornographic site, right? Or maybe it's a game in an app. I remember someone um, who was playing games and they were getting these notifications. Um, they're you know, Covenant Eyes Partners, which is helps block against pornography. It was saying that they were getting these alerts that they're looking at these sites that they shouldn't be. But the person wasn't, but it was simply an ad in a game and they didn't even know it. See, there are those who are looking to trap you in evil. Know that. So 
what the Bible is saying here is that those who do that will be caught in their own traps. And an easy, one of the examples that we can think about is Haman, right? Remember Haman? He was out with, with Esther. He, he wanted to kill all the Jews and, and even Mordecai. He wanted to hang by the gallows. And yet what happened is he set those traps. It was the very gallows that he made that he was hung by. And again, we see the sovereignty of Lord's. Of the, of the Lord in our life and in, in the lives of others. See, what the Bible is telling us here is not to be drawn by their temptations, but what's our answer to temptations is even as Jesus did, is, is go to the Word of God. Fight the temptation, answer it with the truth of God's Word. And this is a, another thing for us, is not to let any blame be upon us. I like Psalm 19, verse 7. You might write this down. There we read, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, the testimony of the word is sure, making wise the simple. See, the, the law of God, meaning the word of God, is perfect, it's sure, and it will give you the wisdom that you need to navigate those temptations. The wisdom that you need as others are out trying to lay traps for you. But no, God will catch them. God, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will take care of those. So verse 11. The rich man is wise in his own eyes, but the poor who has understanding searches him out. 1 Corinthians 2.10. Write this down. There the word says this um, through the hand of Paul. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit, the Holy Spirit he's referring to there, searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. So what's Paul telling us? He's given us the Holy Spirit who does this searching and he has revealed all things to us. So as a Christian, those who are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that. We know that the Holy Spirit has given, been given to us as a guarantee, as a down payment of our salvation, right? That the Lord is coming back to you. You might think as an engagement ring um, for those who are married or, or going to be married, going to be engaged. He's given us this Holy, the Holy Spirit and it's the Holy Spirit who searches all things. And so for you and I, for, for those who may be poor, meaning even despised in the world's eyes, those who might not be great in wisdom, great in stature and prominence in the world's eyes, notice this, he's saying that you're still able to discern the realities of life as God has established them. We're going back to uh, kind of one of our main points, God's reality. That's true wisdom. And yet the rich thinks great of himself, yet he understands nothing of eternity. He's a fool. See, guys, you have so much in what the Lord has given you in his spirit. Don't despise that. And I know I fall into the trap too. I can look at others and man, Lord, if I had that money, if I had that job, if I had that house, if I had that X, Y, Z, you can, whatever it is, then man, we, we desire that. But God has given you so much to understand the realities of this world and of himself as he reveals himself in his word through his Holy Spirit. And just a great example of this, you can go back and read Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. There Jesus tells the story. He tells a parable of a rich man, a farmer, um, who crops and, and livestock at that time were one of the marks of great wealth. And remember this farmer, he had great, so many crops that he said, 
man, I have so much abundance. What I'm going to do is I'm going to tear down all my barns. I'm going to tear them all down and I'm going to build all new barns to hold all this um, harvest that I have, this great wealth that I have. And, the, and, the, and he goes on and he says that he tears them down and he builds all new ones. Um, you know, they were probably air conditioned and had automatic uh, garage door openers. They were the, the best that money could buy. Probably sensors on their phones, right? The, the latest gadgets. And he says that he does that. And, and he, he says within himself, um, he, he's now settled, he's now satisfied. And it's, the word goes on to say that it was that night he didn't know that he would die. See, he felt secure and he was, he was just looking at the reality, looking at the world, understanding it through only his own wisdom, but not what the word has established. So you and I, we're not fools. Do you know that? If you're in Christ, he's given you great wisdom in his word. And we have the opportunities to walk in that. So enjoy the wisdom that he's given you. Press into it. Verse 13, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Man, a great illustration of this. Remember the, the first covering that we see in the Bible was in Genesis chapter 3, and of course you know the story. We just talked about it. There where Adam and Eve, they sinned. It says that they were naked and they were unashamed before they sinned. But then after they sinned, what did they do? They went and they went to uh, um, fig a lot and they got some new figs, right? And they started sowing them, but soon they found them to be dr- dried up and itchy, out of style, and they soon fell apart. See, what did Adam and Eve do? They, they sought to cover themselves up. But we saw there later in Genesis chapter 3 where the Lord searches them out. He wants them to realize where they are. And remember what the Lord did? It says that he provided a, a covering for them. There was an animal that was killed and the Lord provided a covering for them. Isn't that cool that the Lord brought that covering and he gave it to them? And that's what the Bible's talking about here. You see, for us, we can still try to cover ourselves up in our heart of hearts. Even if you're a Christian, even if you're a Christian, you can still try to cover yourself up by people pleasing, by um, what others think about you, what others say about you, what others see about you that image on the outside, we can still make that a facade that we put on. And yet we'll soon find like Adam and Eve that it crumbles, that it's itchy, that it's annoying, that it doesn't last. But but the one the Bible is telling us who confesses or acknowledges their sin and forsakes, and the Bible term for that means repent of their sin, that this person will find mercy. Isn't that awesome? The Bible is saying, stop. Stop trying to do it yourself. Just come. Confess your sin to me. Turn from it and, and you will find mercy. I will cover you up. And let that be an encouragement for you because I know that we know these things in our hearts. You know, you guys um, have been taught the word. You know the word. I know that you know what the gospel is. But our heart can function under something else other than the gospel. So I hope that that's an encouragement for you. I know it's a good reminder for me. Verse 20, excuse me, uh, 14. I don't know how I got to 20. Happy is the man who is always reverent, or we might say who always fears God, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. There we simply see there's a blessedness of uh, the person that continually fears or reverences God, but the person who continually resists the Lord 
will fall into evil. Uh, we can say that resisting the Lord can also be translated pride. See, if I, if I resist the Lord, I'm saying that I know better than the Lord or that I'm ruler, I'm king of my life, queen of my life, that I can do what I want. But there's a blessedness in simply fearing God. Like the roaring of a lion and a charging bear is a wicked ruler over people. A roaring lion, we can um, associate that with strength or ferocity of a tyrant's appetite, as one commentator put it. And a charging bear, the sudden attack to satisfy hunger. So unless I am being satisfied by what the Lord says about me, not looking to others, I can be in danger of falling into this same trap, right? A sudden outburst, that, 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 that wanting to satisfy this deep hunger in my heart. See, the antidote for this, for you and I, simply let yourself be satisfied in the Lord. Be satisfied in who he is and what he says about you. Notice this too, that you can take assurance that the Lord will never do this. The Lord will never act this way towards you or I. Well, why? See, because the Lord is self-satisfied. The Lord doesn't need from us. The Lord's never going to treat us this way. And take rest or comfort in that. Verse 16, a ruler who lacks understanding is a great oppressor, but he who hates covetousness will prolong his days. Covetousness um, is a, describes a person who's always looking for more and looking to keep what they have for themselves. And what they're saying, what that person often says, and, and, and what we can say in our hearts when we're coveting, is that if I have more, then I will feel better. I will be more secure. Yet the psalmist says in Psalm 119.36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. Interesting. So one of the answers to covetousness is being in the word of God because the word of God teaches us to be gracious. Well, how so? What's the gospel? The gospel is that God sent his son, Jesus, who was perfectly satisfied, who had everything in heaven, yet he left that to come to you and I to give life to us. The gospel is God giving to you and I. See, and we have that same opportunity in front of us on a daily basis to live that out and to be gracious rather than ones who covet and keep for ourselves. See, we fall into this trap when we fail to see the greatness of God's love and grace displayed on the cross. The more that we understand our need for the Lord, our sin, the more that we're honest about it, the more gracious we will see that he's been to us and the more willing we are to give. Verse 17, a man burdened with bloodshed will flee into a pit. Let no one help him. We'll just let that sit there for a minute. Whoever, verse 18, walks blamelessly will be saved or will be delivered, some translations say. But he who is perverse in his ways will suddenly fall. Verse 19, he who tills the land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows after um, frivolity, or we can also translate that vanity or emptiness, will have poverty enough. So we're talking here about working. See, if you don't work and go after, if, if you don't work and rather you go after um, vain things, the Bible is telling us that you'll have poverty. Yet, if you work, if you till the ground, that you'll have the supply that you need. 
Interesting, the word says this in Deuteronomy 32, verses 46 and 47. He said to them, set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For, notice this, the word says this about his word and doing it. It's not futile. That's our word, right? It's not vain thing for you because it is your life. And by these words, you shall prolong your days in the land which, cross, which you cross over the Jordan to possess. And, and, and folks, for us, man, we need to be ones who are obedient to God's word. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes participation on our part. And we're not, uh, I'm not preaching um, workspace righteousness. That's not what I'm doing. But the Bible tells us in Ephesians that God has good works foreordained that we should simply walk in them. And it is work. You know, it's work to, to come down here and to set up the church and to tear down these trees. It's work to prepare for worship and, and to set up for the parties and all these things that God, it is work. But God will meet us and he will bless us as we pursue um, the opportunities that he's given us rather than the vain things of this world. Verse 20, a faithful man will abound with blessing, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. So notice here that when one is faithful, or we might describe faithfulness as how? Just continually working, honest, one who is a good steward of what's in front of him. Uh, with the work that is done, in, excuse me, that's put in front of them. So we should be ones who are faithful, rather compared to the get-rich-quick schemes. Have you ever heard the saying, and if not, here's a quick nugget for you. If it's too good to be true, it, it is. If it's too good to be true, it is too good to be true. Oftentimes, there's those who look to cut corners, and, and if this happened to you, we're not making fun of you. Um, but, you know, man, if you just, if you give me your bank account number, I'll, I'll wire you $5 million, and it will be in your account tonight. Hey guys, if it's too good to be true, these, these get rich quick, um, these cutting corners, rather than the faithfulness of what God's put in front of you. And, and for you and I, God's put, given each of us something. Something. And he just asks us to be faithful with that. Remember, uh, Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have, you, be steward. What has God given you? A gift. A, the ability to um, carry trash. An ability to work a hammer. An ability to call somebody and encourage them. An ability to pray for somebody. God's given you abilities. Be faithful in those. And work, work um, well with, with them. Don't, say if I, don't fall into the trap that if I um, had more, I would be more faithful or I would serve more. God wants us to use what's in front of us, to know that he can trust us with what he's already given us. Verse 21 to show partiality is not good because for a piece of bread, a man will transgress. See, we are warned against taking bribes or gifts in exchange for doing something that is not right. Uh, favoritism, lying, right? I'll slip you an extra 20 if you just don't tell this person the truth about what happened. These bribes that can happen. Why, is this, why are we warned against this? See, the heart loves free gain of a gift, doesn't it? <laughs> Man, it just feels good. If I, can, if I can go back, if I can just get an extra 20, um, I can buy three Chipotle burritos with it. 
And, and yet, it goes back to the proverb that we just talked about, about these get-rich-quick schemes. See, and what he's saying here, um, know this, that it's not really free. See, a price is paid. You're giving and you're exchanging, doing what is right for doing something that is wrong. I, I, I will give you this, and it's not going to cost you anything, but the Bible is saying it is costing us something. And that's doing what's right in God's eyes. Don't be those who do that. Be men and women of integrity. Verse 22. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. So again, this is describing the person who tries to get rich by not being generous or compassionate with their money. To give or to be generous is better than to hold on to. See, the wisdom of the world says what? Keep, gather, hoard to myself. The wisdom of God says to give, to have open hands. The Bible, you know, following the Lord and being obedient to him is going to cost us, isn't it? Isn't that what Jesus said? That we're to lay down our lives, that we're going to give up our lives to follow him? See, but we think that, yes, it's just hurting our pocketbooks, but the Lord, what the Lord's really working on is, is the issues of the heart, isn't he? He wants us to give away as we give away possession or money or time or, or, or whatever that is, pride. We lay down our pride. We're really giving those fleshly things away. The Lord's using that to cut away at those things that don't belong in our heart. And again, what's the antidote for this is to look at how much Christ has given you and I on the cross. Verse 23, uh, he who rebukes a man will find more favor afterwards than he who flatters with the tongue. How difficult is it for you to tell somebody a hard thing? Right? I can sometimes. You know if you tell that person in your life something that is true um, in a loving way that they need to hear because it's what's best for them, that it's going to upset them. And it's going to cost you maybe a relationship, but yet it's the best thing for them, isn't it? See, sometimes we think that to push it under the rug, to turn our eye to it, or, or not to say anything is really um, pleasing them or what's best for them. But because we love ourselves more than we love that person, we're not willing to lay ourselves down and, 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 and be rejected by them in love. And what the Bible is telling us here, that rebuke, this rebuke, this correction is, is hard. And unless you're secure in Christ, we're not going to be able to do ones who do this. In the long run, see, it will be welcomed. It's not going to be welcomed in the moment, but it will in the long run. You can choose to do what is correct now. Excuse me. You can choose not to do what's correct or what's right now in the fear of upsetting another person to find favor now. But again, there's this exchange. In the long run, you might be setting that person up for ultimate failure. And we can even say, man, that we can go back to the gospel, telling them the truth of sin and of righteousness and, and what Jesus has done. And are you trusting in Christ? We might be rejected for telling a person them, for rebuking them in love, or a brother and sister who's in Christ Again, doing these things in love, not coming down on them with a, with a hard hand and a heavy fist. 
but in love as Jesus often did. And yet, in the long run, parents, those, it's hard to always correct your kids, isn't it? Those who, who you're in a group of a community, of this body, you know, it shouldn't just be the pastors who are out there and, and saying, hey, bro, that's sin. You can't be doing that. It should be all of us. Verse 24, whoever robs his father or mother and says it is no transgression, the same is a companion to a destroyer. Simply here, we see it's a warning against uh, getting rich quickly by stealing from parents. Beware of this. It can happen today easily, you know, even as parents can become um, older and maybe we're entrusted to uh, manage their wealth or their funds. And you often hear of, uh, of people who just funnel it all from themselves. The Lord sees. In verse 25, he who fear, excuse me, he who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. The proud heart is one who thinks highly of self, who cannot be overlooked or take the lesser position in someone else's eyes or in a setting. That, that person who must always be on the best, who must always be on top. See, this heart, the Bible tells us, causes fighting or friction, strife, and relationships between the proud person and others. And why is that? See, this, this person refuses to see the reality just of relationship, that they're unable to take the, the humbler, the lesser position. They always have to be exalted. They can never let themselves be put down, ever. They always have to stay on top compared to the humble one. And why, why is a person humble? Because they're trusting in the Lord. And it's a humble person who will trust in the Lord because it's a humble person who says that I need the Lord that I, I need his salvation. I need him to save me. And then when we, as we do that, we can be humble in our relationship with others. And it is that sense of even putting out the strife that can be in relationships. You know, you don't always have to be right. My wife probably wants to remind me this right now. You don't always have to be right. You can be humble and take the lesser position, admit our wrong. Jesus said that being a servant will be the greatest, right? That means that we can admit and confess sin. So let's be ones who, who are uh, just a sweet breath to our relationships, even to those in our workplaces, in, in our friend groups, in our community that don't know the Lord. How refreshing it is to be around a humble person. Verse 26, He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. You know Jeremiah 17, verse 9. You've probably heard it, and if not, we're going to hear it tonight. But there the word says that the heart, our heart, my heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So the Bible is telling us that a person who says that they are trusting their feelings, their heart, over the word of God is a fool. Somebody might say, I know that the Bible says this, but I just don't feel like I need to stay with my wife or my husband. I, I don't feel the love anymore, so I'm just going to get a divorce. That person's walking after 
their own heart, their own feelings. And the Bible says that that person is a fool. See, we're not to trust our feelings. We're not to go by our feelings. We're to trust and we're to walk according to God's word. Do you know that? What are you walking by? A wise person will walk wisely by trusting the word above their feelings. See, notice this. I'll just tell you a secret if you haven't figured this out already. You won't always feel like obeying God's word. It's going to go against your feelings. Big time. We don't walk by feelings. We walk according to his word. Verse 27. He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eye will have many curses. Looking away from the needs of others, the needs of the poor, so that you don't have to help. That's that idea of hiding your eyes. Is compared to those who give to others in need. Know that God will provide for you as you trust the Lord. As, as again, as you give out, there's a common theme here. Um, he, he will give back to you. He will supply what you need. And in verse 28, the wicked arise, men hide themselves. Excuse me, when the wicked arise, men hide themselves. But when they perish, the righteous increase. There's so many, so much here. You see some of the common themes just as we're looking at it tonight. Uh, we can say one of the common themes is what do we do with wealth? Are we ones who look to gain it quickly according to our wisdom, according to the wisdom of the world? Ones who look to keep it for ourselves? Or are we ones who are willing to walk in whatever God's chosen to give us, be faithful in it, and then to be generous and give it back out that we could be vessels used by him? Isn't it amazing? Oftentimes, the Lord continues to give to those who give out. Do you ever think about that? So let's be, let's be ones who give generously. Let's be ones too who, how do we exercise authority in whatever authority, whatever area, even if it might seem small, that God's given to? How, how do we treat others? Are we ones who, who need to use others to satisfy our own hearts and our own desires? Or are we ones who are settled in the reality of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us and so we can be ones who are refreshing to others? in terms of relationships, and in terms of um, our households, our community, our work. But let's be ones who walk according to God's wisdom, according to the reality that he's established, not our own. And man, it's I just, you know, as I've been, the Lord's been working on this, it, it rubs a little bit. It's like that sandpaper that just rubs on those rough areas of my heart where I still am coveted, where I still don't want to be generous where I I still am unsettled and and I'm not secure in the gospel and I still need to look to others to to make me feel good in my heart. But yet God's just just gently like rubbing those, sanding those rough places in our hearts away as he conforms us more and more into the image of his son. So may God bless you. May he cause his face to shine upon you as you go forth this week and as we are ones who walk in the wisdom of of his word.